everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie, I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week in the podcast, the legendary Larry Graham, the man who played the bass, of course, in Sly and the Family Stone, and now Graham Central Station. If you listen to the episodes that we've had with Rhonda Smith, Nick West, all these bass players who are so influential, they actually cite Larry Graham as someone who's influenced their career to such a degree. So it's an honour and a privilege to be able to chat to Larry today. Absolutely brilliant reactions that we've had from the last couple of weeks on the podcast. We had Jennifer Batten on, who played guitar with Michael Jackson for 10 years. A lot of you guys were writing in saying how much you liked that episode. Graham Clark from Wet Wet Wet, and of course, Ailey McKellar. The good thing is, a lot of you hadn't heard of Ailey before, but are now massive fans of her and her work, which is great to see. Of course, today we're so looking forward to talking to the legend that is, Larry Graham. Now, for anybody that may have listened to the podcast last week with Jennifer Batten, you would have heard me saying to my friend Mike Smith to bring on a couple of his bandmates for this week's episode because I wanted to talk to these guys. If you remember me saying, I was talking about the Angry Men and how good their videos on YouTube are. Um, Great, great band. Check them out. A relatively new band. Um, A very, very busy schedule at the moment, so check them out. Um, They've actually got a gig tonight, but they're joining me on the phone right now, and I want to talk to the the singer first of all. Paul, Mike and Jay are there too. But Paul, first of all, what are your thoughts on Larry Graham in general? I mean, the guy's a legend, really. I mean, to invent a way of playing the bass is, is, you know, there are not many people that can can say they've done that. Um, You know, probably maybe Jaco Pastorius being one of them who sort of invented the fretless bass. Um, But Larry to invent sort of the slap kind of sound and just being a legend, you know, Sly and the Family Stone, you know, what a legend. Mike, uh, do you echo those views on the legend that is Larry Graham? Absolutely. A dirty slapper that he is. (laughs) I think we should maybe, um, I don't know if we should have you on record as saying that, Mike, but none of that. But on a, on a serious note, what a, what a bass player, eh? Yeah, what a ridiculous musician. Yeah, a legend in his own lifetime. So tell us a little bit about this track that we're hearing at the moment, In an Ideal World. How did that come together? It's actually a bit of a, a, a tipping of the hat to Jaco Pastorius, um, who, who isn't with us anymore. A um, bit of a tragic character, really. Um, but it, it's kind of, the, the way it's written, it's very kind of, um, it was written on Fretless and for Fretless. So there's quite a lot of nodding to the techniques in which he adopted on the bit, on the instrument. And um, and the title really just comes from, really, in an ideal world, he would still be kind of playing and doing his thing. Because he really was a legend, and he's, he's a very heavy influence of mine. You can definitely tell that, Paul, in the writing, without question, there you can hear the influence straight away. Before you guys go on stage tonight, Jay, I want, you, I want to bring you in here, and from a, a rhythmic standpoint, um, 
definitely been a big influence in the band. What's your thoughts on the history of, of, of Larry Graham's legacy, essentially? Yeah, obviously he's worked with, everyone knows his work with Sly and the Family Stone, and that's where he sort of came to fame. But then he left and formed his own group, which was Graham Central Station. And, and more people need to sort of get onto those albums because there's lots of great, you know, um, influential funk stuff on, on those uh, on those early, you know, 70s albums. So, you know, release yourself, you know, a lot of titles like this. Absolutely. The Angry Men. Check them out on YouTube. Facebook them. Follow them on Twitter. I've been watching their videos non-stop the last couple of weeks. And if you like Larry Graham, you will certainly like these guys. Appreciate them taking the time out there to have a quick chat to us before we speak to Larry. So without further ado, let's get straight to the interview. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast with a legend that is Mr. Larry Graham. How are you today, Larry? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Um, the one thing that Larry and I spoke about briefly when we were off air is the fact that Larry has not been to Scotland yet. Larry, we need to get you guys over here and perform for us. We need to get over there and perform for you. So let's hook it up. Let's do it. I'm ready. My bags are packed. Let's go. My base is packed. Let's get this going. That's fantastic. Oh, we need to get you over here without a doubt because you've got a lot of Scottish fans and no doubt they'll be delighted to hear that your bag is packed, Larry, and you'll be on a plane tomorrow. I'm only kidding. But, <laughs> so how's the tour going? You're on, a, you're on a break. You've got a few days off. How's it all panning out? Everything is going good. We've been to a lot of places on the planet that uh, I never got a chance to tour. Uh, there with uh, Slander Family Stone or with early Graham Central Station. Uh, but we're getting there now to a lot of places, so we, we have to put Scotland on the list too. I'm loving this, Larry. I'm absolutely loving this. Now, you started off playing guitar, is that right? Um, you, when you first started, and of course you the transition to bass, how did that all come about? Okay, well, actually, before guitar, I actually played piano and um, I took saxophone lessons in school and I played drums in school and and stuff but piano was first my first instrument um, but when I was 11 my father who was a guitarist gave me his guitar because he decided he wasn't going to play anymore I taught myself guitar and recorded my first uh, record as a guitar player when I was 13 years old uh, I had a band called the five riffs and then when I was 15, my mother, who um, was on piano and vocals, um, asked me to join her trio. And it was guitar, me on guitar, my mother on piano, and we had a drummer. And uh, when my mother would play uh, solos, I would play bass lines on my guitar. And when I would solo, she would play bass lines on her piano. and. Uh, so then we played at this one club that had an organ that had bass pedals that go halfway across the organ. I learned how to play the bass pedals with my foot at the same time playing the guitar. So now we had bottom. We sounded full. So it sounded better. Right. We got used to that. And then the organ broke down. And now to us, we sounded empty. We were missing that bottom end, that bass. So I went to the music store and rented a bass. And uh, the reason I rented it is because it, I thought it would be temporary. And when the organ could be repaired, 
I go back to playing the organ bass pedals and playing my guitar, which was my first love. But as it turned out, the organ couldn't be repaired, so I got stuck on the bass. That's how that came about. <laughs> and you get stuck on the bass, and you've been there and playing it great ever since, Larry. Sly and the Family Stone, let's talk about the origin of the, that band. Talk to us about the beginning and how it all came to fruition. Well, the reason I was even asked to be in the band is going back to when my mother and I were working together and I started playing the bass, uh, she decided that she was going to uh, not going to have drums anymore. It was just going to be bass and piano. And so that's when I started bumping the strings with my thumb to make up for not having that bass drum and plucking the strings with my finger to make up for not having that backbeat on the snare drum. So I was kind of playing the drums on the bass. So I was creating a new style, but I didn't know it. And so Sly Stone came to the club. He was a radio disc jockey at the time. And he came to the club one night and he heard me uh, doing my new style of playing the bass and he really liked it and asked me to join the band. And so it was through the music of Sly and the Family Stone on songs like uh, Dance to the Music and Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself and other songs that my style became popular. Excellent. Now you went into uh, one of the, the answers to, to one of my questions, which was going to be, how did that technique come about? The, 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 the bum pluck and slap technique, as you call it, and I know it's, it's made very, very famous. Um, a lot of people have been influenced by yourself, um, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rhonda Smith, Nick West. Um, so many, Do you take that as a big compliment, Larry, when people cite you as, as having such an influence in their career? It's a huge compliment, and it makes me feel good because um, everybody in various fields um, want to, to, to contribute something to their field, whether it be a scientist or a doctor or, or whatever. They want to be able to contribute something to the field that they work in. And for me as a musician, to be able to contribute something to the world of music, um, it really makes me feel good. And when I hear other bass players playing my style of slap bass or thumping and plucking. It makes me feel good. And uh, I consider them like, you know, my bass children. <laughs> <laughs> Larry's bass children, fantastic. That could be an album, I think. Yeah, you know? it could be. all my bass children on it. Absolutely. Um, we're going to break down and, and talk about some of those names later on because I'd love to hear your thoughts on those, those uh, bass players individually. Now, one of the things that a lot of people don't cite Sly and the Family Stone of doing, of course, you guys absolutely stormed the stage at Woodstock. Um, tell us about your memories of that performance and the whole experience. Well, Woodstock was very unique. Um, it turned out to be way more than anyone expected. Uh, no one expected a half a million people uh, to turn up, but uh, they did. And it turned out to be one of the biggest festivals in the world at the time. And, you know, for us, uh, it was pretty amazing. We had never played in, um, you know, on the stage uh, in a concert, nowhere near that large. Um, and, and so to come in at night, you couldn't really see how big the audience was. But when we played on stage, something interesting happened, and that is uh, the way our show was arranged, we would play um, a medley of songs like all in a row, nonstop. So there was really no space for the audience to respond until we stopped. So we had played uh, a, a few songs and finally got to the spot where we stopped and for the first time could hear 
the audience response. Now, remember, we couldn't see them because it's nighttime. It's a half a million people deep. You can only see maybe the first few thousand with the uh, light shining on the stage. But we, we could hear them for the first time, and it was the loudest roar of people we had ever heard. <laughs> Never experienced anything like that. And that really shot us up to the next level of our playing because the adrenaline, you know, got the pumping so hard at that point that now we were able to tap in musically into a music zone that we had never been in before. And that was probably one of the best performances of our life up to that point. After that, now we knew that we could go into that new zone. And so now every concert uh, was compared to Woodstock as far as our ability to perform. Great stuff. And did you manage to catch a lot of the now famous performances of, of that um, festival? Did you see Carlos Santana? Did you catch Jimi Hendrix? Did you see any of the guys? We caught some people. Um, uh, I was able to actually uh, become friends with Carlos Santana's bass player, David Brown, at the time. And he and I became best friends. And for years, I mean, we were just as close as, as, as brothers. And so that was a wonderful acquaintance that we made there. Uh, we didn't get a chance to see everybody we would like to, um, but we got a chance to see some. Great stuff. It must have been a, a, an amazing experience, um, obviously, playing that festival and being a part of the whole thing. Now, I yeah, want to jump... I jump. I think the biggest experience was backstage, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was where all the musicians were meeting one another and becoming friends for the first time in many cases. I would give anything to go back in time and, and be a part of it and just be backstage and um, just being a part of the whole thing. It's quite incredible. People talk about Woodstock religiously, so it's fascinating, you know. Um, so let's forward on a, a few years. I'm anxious to know your thoughts. Uh, the very first time that you heard Prince, give us your thoughts. Say it again now. Say it again. Um, I'm, I'm keen to know your thoughts. The very first time that you seen Prince play, what was your initial reaction? Oh, the first time when I saw Prince play. Well, um, Graham Central Station uh, was on tour, um, a, a United States tour. Uh, it was Graham Central Station, Earth, Wind & Fire, Tina Marie, and Sinbad, the comedian. And we were on a U.S. tour, and we were playing in a city called Nashville, Tennessee. And we were at the amphitheater, and Prince was playing at the big arena there, uh, the theater there in, uh, no, it was arena, I'm sorry, uh, uh, in town. And he heard that I was in town. And so um, he uh, contacted me and asked if I could um, come down to the after party. Uh, he's famous for doing after shows, after parties after the big concert, find a club somewhere and, and maybe jam or whatever. And so he invited me to this after party. And so um, I went and this would be actually the first time we would ever connect together on stage and play together. That's about 16 years ago now. And so I, when I went on stage and started playing with him, I was really surprised that everywhere I went, Musically, on my bass, he was like right there with me on his guitar, like we had been playing together for years. What I found out later, and I didn't know at the time, is that 
Um, he was raised on, on my music, uh, mostly Graham Central Station, um, because when I was in Sly and the Family Stone, he was a lot younger. And, uh, and then by the time I started Graham Central Station, he was now more into writing and, and composing and recording his own music. And so it was heavily influenced by Graham Central Station. So he knew all my stuff, you know, and we connected, you know, immediately um, that night. And so he asked me uh, before I left, um, he said, when you finish this tour, uh, would you join my tour? And uh, we're going to do, you know, uh, a bunch of cities in the United States and Canada. And I did. I accepted his offer. And so we started uh, playing together from, from then on and doing uh, a bunch of touring. And and, uh, and we became best friends and became like brothers. Fantastic. And of course, my next question was going to be, what's he been like to work with over the years? And you've definitely answered that. You guys have obviously became very, very close indeed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And musically, I mean, we just are very compatible and it's very easy to work with him because he knows my style and, and he really has a lot of respect for uh, what I do. And I have a lot of respect for what he does. And he's um, quite easy to, to, to work with because he's a very kind, generous person. Uh, he knows how to be out front and take the lead. He also knows how to step back and let you take the lead. And he supports you, you know, in the background. And so he knows how to do both. And I come from that same world. You know, I know how to be in the background or a part of the background, like in Sly and the Family Stone. And then I also know how to take the lead, you know, as I do uh, often in, you know, Grand Central Station. And so he's from that same school. So we just immediately just connected and it's, it's worked Perfectly. You can tell that right away, Larry. Honestly, the connection that you guys have got is unbelievable. Now, give us two seconds there, Larry. We're just going to advertise as quickly as we can our previous episodes. Previous episode. Now, I am wary that this is becoming, uh, fastly becoming the longest section of the podcast because we've done so many episodes, okay? But we want you to go away and check them out, and it's just giving you an insight as to everybody that's been on, okay? Here we go. Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols was on episode one, two, we had Huey Morgan from the Fun Loving Criminals, three, we had Sandy Tom, four, Brian Ray, five, Orianthe, episode six, Bob Jacobs, the head spokesman of NASA, I'll never forget the day when the head spokesman of NASA called me in my flat. Um, number seven, we had Dr. Phil Tome, Metallica's therapist, right? Episode 8, The Grames from Wet Wet Wet. Episode 9, Andy McKee. 10, Steve Craddock from Ocean Colour Scene. Episode 11, Cliff Goldmacker. 12, we had Steve White. Then we had Martin Taylor, MBE, the following week. Then we had Stuart Copeland from The Police. Dweezil Zappa. Then Martin Hartley. Then Julian Lennon. Carol Kay. Tommy Emanuel. Kaki King. John Gom. Nick West. Thomas Lang, what drummer Thomas Lang is, Rhonda Smith, classy lady, great bass player, uh, Glenn Sobel, Alice Cooper's drummer joined us, Graham Clark came on for a part two on episode 26, then we had Ailey McKellar, brilliant guitarist, last week we had Jennifer Batten, of course this episode right here, right now, episode 29, co-hosted by the Angry Men, it's got to be said. Larry Graham, check out all these episodes in scottcowby.com, excuse me, scottcowby.com, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, SoundCloud, subscribe, rate, review, you know what to do. 
Now back to Larry. I'm going to um, throw some names out there for you, Larry, and just give us your thoughts on these different musicians, uh, mainly bass players, actually, if that's okay. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I already tell you before you name them, I love all of them, because <laughs> that's how they feel about me. So that, that's a blanket answer for all of them. I love all of them and totally respect them and thank them from the bottom of my heart for you know being a part of my life and keeping something uh, that... You know, I had the privilege of of uh, starting it, but they're keeping it going, and you know, will influence many other young bass players, younger bass players, and even in themselves to keep it going. So, go ahead, shoot. Great stuff, Larry. And this is before I, before I start the list. It's interesting that you should say that because all of these bass players have went on to become such. Um, influential bass players themselves on even younger bass players. So you're right; it's 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 so good the way that it's all happening. Um, the first name on my list, somebody that was on the podcast, Rhonda Smith. Um, of course, plays. Uh, she played with Prince and is now with Jeff Beck. What are your thoughts on uh, Rhonda and her playing? Well, she was um, in the band um, uh, when when we were on tour um, uh, together. She she was playing with Prince, and then when I would come on. Um, then, you know, I would take the lead on the bass. Uh, but she's also one of the persons that uh, we can both play and not bump heads. You know, it's not a lot of musicians I can say that uh, uh, about as far as when it comes to two bass players. I mean, Stanley Clark being another one. Uh, but Rhonda and Marcus Miller, uh, we've all worked together playing bass at the same time and, and not clash. So Ron is yeah definitely a wonderful bass player and got a chance to see her last year. Um, no, it wasn't last year. It was this year in Australia. Uh, we were playing the Byron Bay um, Festival in uh, in Australia, and Rhonda was there uh, with Jeff Beck, and so we got a chance to see each other, which we hadn't connected in a while. So that was great. Fantastic, yeah. I was watching one of her videos earlier. An amazing player and and um, just just off the chart, really. So so good. I'll, I'll throw another couple of names at you. Free Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Les Claypool, who obviously plays with with Primus. Uh, any thoughts on those guys? Yeah, great bass players. You know, and again, you know, I really really um, feel good when I hear them playing my style. Um, it, it makes me feel really, really good that I've been able to influence bass players like that that have um, really gotten into um, other genres of music mm-hmm. and uh, incorporated my style of playing in their, um, in their music. Uh, and like you said, there's a lot of bass players um, that listen to them and, uh, and their music and didn't necessarily know about me. But in interviews... Because they have talked about me and talked about uh, where they got their style of slap bass or thumping and plucking and and made these other fans of theirs aware of me. And I, I really appreciate that, you know, because they could say, well, this is this is me. I, I did this. This is <laughs> something I invented, you know, uh, but no, they directed, you know, some of their bass playing fans um, to me, so that's greatly uh, appreciated. 
Absolutely, and a big thanks to Neil Bratchpiece um, who emailed in with that question. Um, Chris McMullen uh, on our Facebook page asked earlier, um, Larry, who do you have a favourite drummer um, that you like to jam with, and if so, why? You know, um, the first drummer that I got to play with um, uh, after not having a drummer for years, because you got to remember, when I started playing the bass, working with my mother, taking you back to that time, you know, I was 15 years old. Now I'm like 2021, 20, joining this line of Family Stone. And I hadn't worked with a drummer in five or six years. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I was really nerved up. Is this going to work out great with a drummer? Or is this going to be like a train wreck? This is like totally going to be a disaster. I, I didn't know because I hadn't worked with a, uh, a drummer in, in years. It turned out to work great because Gregorico, uh, he actually complimented what I was doing on the bass and played around my bass patterns. And there was no, no clash, no train wreck at all. It, it worked out just fine so he immediately became um uh, uh my highlight drummer <laughs> in, in the life of graham you know from then you know on because he was the one that really um connected with me first as a bass player excellent good stuff and really really quickly before i move on what was it like generally being in a band with your mom did she ever shout at you when you played wrong notes was there any of that going on larry no, um, actually, um, a lot of the, the, the bass patterns, um, uh, re remember, I went to bass from guitar, and I was playing bass lines on my guitar, but it, I, when she soloed, but when I soloed, she played bass lines. Some of my bass lines that I was playing on the guitar was like her left hand mm -hmm. on the piano when I was soloing. So I was learning for her. So if I was playing wrong notes, it would be her notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I could never get fussed at because I was only I was only mimicking when I was hearing. <laughs> now, if it's okay, Larry, we might get you to play a little bit of bass. Where you've been kind enough to come on with your bass today, which uh, we all really really appreciate. And um, so this might lead us in nicely. Um, we don't necessarily, Tanya O'Callaghan, who's a big fan of yours, a great bass player who lives in Los Angeles, initially from Ireland. Um, it's not really a question, she just says, tell Larry, thank you very, very much for coming up with the amazing bass line on thank you for letting me be myself. So um, Tanya's just saying a thank you for that, so I wonder perhaps if you can play that for us just now and maybe talk us through how the bass line came about. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Basically... Uh, one thing I appreciate about uh, the genius of Sly Stone is he put together a very unique band and that uh, it was black and white, male and female, um, and he took music from various genres um, because as a writer, he didn't just stick to one genre when it came to you know, writing and creating. But one thing I really appreciated about him is that he allowed us to be ourselves. Uh, it's kind of like the lyric, thank you for letting me be myself again, where he would let us be ourselves uh, when it came to creativity. And the reason he 
asked me to be in the band was because of the way I played the bass. Uh, he being a bass player, he could have played the bass on uh, some of the songs, uh, like he did on some of the songs uh, on other albums, like Riot Going On and some other, you know, select songs. He would play the bass. But overall, he put me in the group to do what I did. So he let me create my bass lines. He would let Freddie Stone, his brother, create his bass pattern, I mean, his guitar patterns. Uh, he would let uh, uh, Greg Rico create his own drum beats. Like, you know, nobody was playing beats like dancing music back then and other songs. But anyway, thank you. Um, this is what I came up with. It's, a, it's still it's such a great, great baseline, Larry. And I actually watched you playing that with Prince the other day on YouTube from a year ago, and you could just tell Prince was absolutely loving it. <laughs> yeah, we've had a lot of fun playing that song a, a lot of times. Excellent. If I can get you to play a couple, if you don't mind, is there any chance you could give us the baseline for uh, Release Yourself? And lastly, Larry, if you don't mind, I can't have you on this podcast and not ask you to play POW. Thank you very, very much, Larry. That was great. I've got one last question for you, if it's okay, sir. We've been asking uh, the last two or three weeks on our podcast for musicians to put together their ideal fantasy band, right? Um, so you can have any member that you like, um, dead or alive, um, to play in your group. Obviously, I would imagine you'll want yourself to be involved in this band. Um, so who would you have around you? Who, who are you thinking? Well, um... Okay, I, I mentioned Greg Rico yep. as a drummer, being the first drummer that um, you know I played, but as a as a bass player after I created my style, um, Prince on guitar, right? Um, Billy Preston on B three, yep. Uh, uh, Stevie Wonder on. Uh, Clav, you know, clavinet and other keyboards, and of course, all of these, you know, Billy and Stevie and Prince on uh, on vocals. Um, Tower Power uh, horn section, and uh, me on bass. I tell you what, Larry, that is not a bad band at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not a bad band at all is there any chance you could do us a favour can you try and do your best to put that band together for when you come over in Scotland <laughs> well you know I don't have those exact players but um, you know <laughs> we are all in the same family 
So you're going to have that level of uh, musicianship, you know, when we come, because all of my band members uh, was raised on my music and the music of everybody that, that I mentioned. Absolutely. Well, listen, Larry, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. A great insight, great bass playing, and uh, thank you very, very much. You're more than welcome. I look forward to uh, seeing you when we come. Unbelievable interview there with the legend that is Larry Graham. Now, earlier on, the boys from the Angry Men, or the men from the Angry Men, joined me just before their gig, and Mike Smith, my old pal, was listening to that interview there for the first time, and Mike is still now with me a day later after their brilliant gig last night. I caught a little bit online. Mike, Larry Graham, what a legend, eh? Yeah, what a legend. Some great stories there. Um, some, you know, f- fantastic information that you've managed to grab out of him. It's unbelievable to think as well that he was one of the guys that played at Woodstock with Sly and the Family Stone. A lot of people don't cite yeah. that band as one of, you know, they were a big, big part of that gig. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, it just goes to show his experience and, you know, how important he was at the time. You know, he's uh, he's certainly very influential. Yeah, influential then, and of course a big influence in, in Prince's career, and Prince, of course, still cites him as one of his biggest influences to this date. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So, Mike, what else coming up with the band then? You guys have been gigging constantly. What else is, is in the pipeline? Yeah, I mean, it's still in the early stages of its sort of career, really, the Angry Men, but we've got um, a few gigs over summer, like a couple of festival gigs and some sort of relatively intimate venues, um, but, you know, relevant venues. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to playing uh, the Southport Blues and Soul in the Park in August. We've got something at Zeffirelli's up in Ambleside later on in August as well. So there's a few things happening. Then, of course, we've got the album to be recorded properly and uh, hopefully a release later in September. Excellent. So where can we catch you guys online? You can catch us on Facebook, uh, which is forward slash Angry Men Band, or Twitter at Angry Men Band. Right, excellent. You guys need to get yourselves online, like the Facebook, and, of course, follow the Angry Angry Men Band on Twitter. Fantastic <laughs> stuff there. I checked out their YouTube clips earlier, and I tell you what, you need to go and check these guys live. Unbelievable players and playing great, great music, and of course, hugely influenced by the man that we spoke to earlier, Mr. Larry Graham. So, check out the podcast next week, everybody, and check out all of our previous episodes that we said earlier. ScottKiwi.com, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud... And I think I've mentioned them all. I have, haven't I, Ron? Ron always keeps me right on this one. SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, iTunes. iTunes. That's an important one. And we want you to go on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. You can get the little iTunes app on your phone. You can also get the Stitcher app and the the SoundCloud app. We don't care how you listen to it. You can listen to it on scottcowie.com. But please, join us in this journey that is the Talk Music Podcast. And listen each and every week. Pleasure talking to Larry Graham. Thank you very much to Larry for joining us. And thank you to the Angry Men and Mike, who's joined us in the last two episodes. Good friend of mine. Best of luck to the Angry Men in the future. And continued success to Mr. Larry Graham. We will see you guys next week. It's an absolute cracker. You don't want to miss it.